my sort of philosophy is I have to create digital products and, and pieces of content that people will use and enjoy. And if that means that people are no longer prepared to read a 10,000 word journal article, then that's just the way it is. And yes, I do think there is a huge value from people really reading a journal article properly and really understanding the research methods and thinking what kind of quantitative research method or what kind of qualitative research method did this scholar use? I think that the expectation that a large majority of a class of students will do that now is is really reduced and that's just not really the dumb thing now. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hi, Tiffany. No place I'd rather be. You know, right now we're meeting on Zoom and I can see you. I feel like this is one of the last times I'm ever going to see you truly looking as you, because as we were speaking before the podcast began, you've since created an avatar on your Oculus app, and that's how we're going to start meeting from now on. So I just want to say it's nice to see you this way, and I'm excited about the uh, the new reveal coming up. Well, the avatar is much better looking than I am. <laughs> I doubt that, but maybe we can let our guests today take a vote uh, when that reveal happens. So we have an opportunity to welcome to the show today, Raphael Jackson, who has a backstory with Brad, which we'll go into a little bit. So before I go into the story behind how Raphael and I met, let me tell you a little bit about him. Raphael Jackson is an associate editor at Sage Publications, specializing in the creation of new digital products for the university library. He has worked at Sage for the past four years, and in that time worked on three products, Sage Business Cases, Sage Skills for Business, and Sage Skills for Student Success. His main responsibilities lie in creating pedagogical videos and editing manuscripts to ensure that the text and video align. Welcome to the show, Raphael. Hi, Tiffany. It's nice to be here. Thank you. I recently had the pleasure of working with Raphael on a writing project that I did for Sage Publishing. And as part of that, he asked me to make some videos. And I don't want to ruin the surprise too much, but they have created a very unique approach to having faculty or folks they're working with create videos remotely. That is extraordinary. So that's just a little teaser of what's to come. Thank you. And as always, we're not just going to dive right into the video content stuff and get everybody there. We've got to take some time. We've got to take some time to get to know who is Raphael. So that's what we're going to do. So I get acquainted questions. And Brad, you want to kick those off? Sure. So this has obviously been a very unusual year. The past several have been. What's the biggest lesson you've learned in the past year? In the past year, that's a good question. One thing I've learned this year was learning to say no to some things, which sounds silly, but I don't know anybody who didn't used to work remotely, who now, thanks to the pandemic, has to work remotely, who suddenly didn't start answering emails at Saturday at sort of 10 p.m., or who didn't start working way later in the day than they would have normally. And I learned this year that sometimes it's okay to say, no, I can't do this by next week. It's going to have to wait another week or 
no, I can't with, meet with you on a Saturday. I actually need a day off. So that's definitely one thing I've learned this year is to sort of protect my own time and also just protect other people's time because, you know, speaking to one of my colleagues, she's like, well, I felt like I had to keep doing more work because I saw you were emailing me on a Saturday. And that's something I never wanted to do. So definitely learning to say no. In terms of, you know, my work in, in publishing, in terms of creating digital products, definitely I've been learning a lot about student success and particularly around critical thinking and communication skills that have been editing and creating content around that has been really fun to learn about. Very good. You just mentioned aiming to say no a bit more to protect your time. Mm. And then we're going to turn around and ask you if there was something new that you had the time to say yes to learning, what would that be? (laughs) Uh, see I think there's a difference between learning for fun and answering emails just to stay active online on your computer something I really want to relearn is um, I used to speak pretty good Portuguese and I lived in Brazil for a long time but I've let that slide this past couple of years so I really want to get back into learning more romance languages I'm hoping to learn some more Italian and Portuguese this year is definitely something I want to learn wow Tiffany and I are working hard to master English. (laughs) Oh, me too. Me too. That's the truth. Yeah. My first language is actually French. So whenever I get scared with the word, I always want to go into French. So don't worry, you're in safe company here. So how did you find yourself in Brazil for an extended period of time? So when I started off my career, I'm obviously from England, but I moved to DC and I took an internship at a publishing company, Sage. And I worked there for nine months and the internship ended and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So I went to Mexico. I hitchhiked from Defe, Ciudad Juarez, uh, no, from Ciudad de Mexico all the way up to Juarez. And then I flew from there to Brazil and I worked in a hostel, tending bar and sort of cleaning sheets, cleaning the hostel uh, for six months. And I learned Portuguese doing that. And when I was doing that, I got a job offer, well, an offer to interview at Sage back in D.C., so I rented the top half of a suit. It was really reminiscent for what everyone's been doing now that COVID's <laughs> happening. And I did the interview with a, a top half of a suit, managed to get the job, and then came back to DC and I've been a sage ever since. Uh, that's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> so do you find it easy to pick up language? Is that something you have a proclivity for? Yeah, yeah. Well, so my undergraduate degree is in classics, Latin and ancient Greek. So once you've done that, the romance languages, yeah, really comes naturally. And I think it's just a skill like anything. Once you know how to learn a language, which sounds silly to say, but it is true. Once you understand the basic blocks of, you know, you know, there's going to be a past tense and you know, there's going to be reflexive verbs. And once you understand inflection and gender, then it really, really does become a lot easier to pick up more languages. So I wouldn't say I have a natural talent at it. I've just, you know, <laughs> worked at it a lot. <laughs> And that's where you have an advantage over me, because if my life depended on it, I could not define what a reflexive verb is. (laughs) (laughs) You started that question by saying, do you find it easy? I thought you were going to say, do you find it necessary now to own a full suit? (laughs) I was kind of curious. Never found it necessary to own a full suit. Yeah, never found it necessary. (laughs) Uh. Favorite shows to stream? Oh, so I must confess that I'm a huge reality TV fan. I love reality TV. I just find it the most soothing, satisfying thing to watch at the end of the day. 
So I just finished Love is Blind season two yeah. on Netflix. Fantastic television. It was just so enjoyable to watch. Did not expect the ending at all with which couples got married and which didn't. I won't spoil it for anybody, but it was, yeah, really recommend season two. This is your audition, in case you didn't know. So um... <laughs> we're actually toying around with starting a reality show. So we may be in touch with you as a as a contestant. Oh, I'm I'm fully there. I so want to be on that is blind. So fun. Uh, so beyond just streaming things, what other things do you do for fun? Uh, what do I do for fun? Well, I love to read, but I think all editors say that. So I won't talk too much about that. But yeah, reading is a real hobby of mine. And then the other thing I like to do to fun is I play a lot of lacrosse. It's one of the reasons I moved from the UK to US is I played lacrosse at university and um, made a lot of friends doing that. So that's kind of mostly what I do in my spare time is knocking around with the lacrosse stick, really. Oh, that's excellent. Wow. A man of many talents and interests. <laughs> I played it badly. <laughs> many things badly. When you play lacrosse, one thing when people speak multiple languages, I think about in sports is I'll notice that they switch what language they're using depending on how things are going. So when they're excited, you hear them shouting in one language and when they're frustrated, <laughs> you hear them talking in another. So I'm just imagining um, you doing the same. Yes. No, I definitely have that advantage if I'm annoyed and I don't want anybody to hear. I'll switch to French so no one will understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, good. Well, Brad, I'm just so glad that the two of you got connected. And Brad's been sharing with Mike and the faculty enrichment team at Indiana Wesleyan. He's been sharing with us some of the ideas that he picked up from speaking with you. So that's what we're excited to dive into next. Our first question is, how are you seeing video content impact the learning experience of online learners? Great question. I kind of take this question from two approaches because not only am I producing these pedagogical videos, but I'm also consuming them as well. I'm a master's student and I do my master's 50% online, 50% in person. So I'm actually watching videos that professors are putting on their course and you know talking about that as well and one thing that I would say that's fantastic about and a real impact for me personally as a student and you know working full-time as well and a great impact of these pedagogical videos is that you really can watch them whenever you want and you can change the speed you can pause them and I just remember being in my undergraduate degree and just falling behind trying to scribble something down and then a lecture going too quickly for me and then just being five minutes behind, 10 minutes behind for the rest of the lecture. And of course, that doesn't happen when you're watching an hour long lecture video. So I think there's a real richness and, you know, advantage to people who are pursuing education as well as other things from being able to pause videos, play videos at twice the speed and just watch the videos whenever they want, just because, you know, I work from nine to five, so I don't have the time or don't have the ability really to go and watch a lecture during the middle of the day. I have to watch it in the evening once I'm done with work. But I would say another big impact of COVID and people turning more to online videos is it's really changing how people think about teaching and how people teach. Like, I think personally from speaking to authors and people that I used to work with three, four years ago, the sort of default was, oh, well, we'll just write this information, whatever it is, whatever we're trying to teach somebody in text, 
we'll get them in together in a class. They'll read that text beforehand and then we'll discuss it or we'll read that text in the class and then we'll discuss it. And now with the pandemic and with the realization of how great a tool video is for learning, that sort of model, whilst I think it's great and it doesn't need to go away, it does mean there are other different models that people can use. So for example, we can have some people who might not be able to come to the lecture joining in from Zoom, or instead of having to read this information, you can just watch me explain it to you instead and then come to a lecture and we'll talk about it. Or, you know, you can just watch a five minute animation that explains much quicker in a much more enjoyable fashion than me writing a 3000 word teaching case or <laughs> making you read a couple of journal articles. So I think there's been a real impact in that way in that I think the default mode of learning of you have to read something to be able to understand it has really sort of gone out the window. One of the arguments you hear faculty often make is, mm. okay, if I make these videos, it's probably much more likely that the student will watch the video than read the text or read the journal articles that I've assigned. Do you have a sense that videos are maybe having a counterproductive impact on learning? Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends what you want people to do, right? I think that's, that's an important caveat. I think there is just our attention spans and the amount of time that students are prepared to spend reading has just decreased. And as much as I might personally disagree with that, my sort of philosophy is I have to create digital products and, and pieces of content that people will use and enjoy. And if that means that people are no longer prepared to read a 10,000 word journal article, then that's just the way it is. And yes, I do think there is a huge value from people really reading a journal article properly and really understanding the research methods and thinking what kind of quantitative research method or what kind of qualitative research method did this scholar use? I think that the expectation that a large majority of a class of students will do that now is is really reduced and that's just not really the done thing now so what i would say instead is that okay you might not be able to get the majority of your class to read a 10,000 journal article but what you can do is they will probably most of them from the usage data that i've seen and what we found when we're publishing scholarly materials is that they will though watch a really tightly produced really great five minute video clip that explains what that research is about and maybe then afterwards invites them to go look at some journal articles or look at some more text. So yes, I would say perhaps that video could be counterproductive and turn people off reading, but I also think there's just a baseline reality that people are prepared to read for a less amount of time than in the past. But I also think it applies to video as well. Like when we first started off at Sage, we were producing videos that were sort of 30, 40 minutes long and people wouldn't watch those either. You know, the sort of sweet spot that we found is sort of maximum five to seven minutes, really. And any more than that, people start to turn off and, and the bounce rate. So that's when somebody clicks on a video, sees how long it is, and then immediately clicks off. If you have a video that's like 30, 40 minutes, the bounce rate goes up massively. So I think really it's not just true about text it's true about video as well that the amount of time that people are prepared to spend reading or watching something is shorter so it's more of a challenge for us but we've got to create 
things, pieces of content that are much tighter and much, much more pithy. A couple of things you observed kind of jumped out at me. One being the quality of the video. Mm. Tightly produced, I think, was the description you used. And the length of it certainly is a factor. I'm also intrigued by the idea that you could listen to something at twice the normal speed, or you could go back and listen to it again, or you can listen to it while you're driving in your car, while you're walking, while you're running, whatever you're doing. Just so many great attributes of videos in, in student learning, especially in this fast-paced culture that we live in. Yeah, they're so much more versatile videos. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm reading a journal article, I can only read that journal article when I'm studying for my master's. <laughs> but I, I'm guilty of when I'm walking in the park, I'll put on my lectures. If a lecture's an hour and a half, I'll just listen to it. And then I'll probably go home and listen to it again and make some notes. But if I'm really busy doing work or doing other things, then it's so useful for me and it, it allows me to do my studies so much more efficiently. And I think, especially now we're seeing the trend of so many more people doing masters or undergrads whilst pursuing full-time jobs or part-time jobs as well, because the cost of education is so high. We do have to be responsive to that and think about the fact that students can't just be spending 100% of their time studying. They have other responsibilities. They have other things that they need to do as well. Absolutely. Well, this was just part one. We're going to be back next week for part two with Raphael Jackson. And, you know, this week we talked about his background in video and some strategy. But next week, we're really going to dive into what that looks like with faculty and as a vision for the future of higher ed. So join us next week on the Digital to Learn podcast. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.